0: Well, Jim was a very uh, intelligent, bright young man, and he uh, himself pretty well, really. He liked to uh, write and uh, draw pictures.
1: guys, I just want to hop in here for this interview. This is definitely a heavier interview and there's going to be a bit of about 20 minutes of door stuff right here at the beginning. That we're going to talk about, but uh, closer to the end there's, and I believe all of it is important information. We talk about eating disorders, uh, what to look for, where to donate and stuff like that. There'll be links in here. I'll have, uh, pictures of everything, but the interview is with Sharon Haugen, her daughter, Heidi Haugen actually passed away in 2001. From complications uh, of an eating disorder, and we get we talk about that. But she was born July thirtieth, nineteen seventy, passed away in two thousand one. And you know, July thirtieth, less than a year before Jim Morrison passes away, she was a big Doors fan, and she even uh, I know she there's pictures of her with. She was friends with uh, Julian Lennon, and she also went and seen there's pictures of her with. I'll post it, post it here. Uh, if, you look, if you go to my socials, either Facebook or you can go to to Twitter where we're most active. And I will post all those in a thread or in something so you can see them. Uh, the picture of her with uh, Dave Brock of Wild Child. If you ever heard, haven't ever heard Wild Child, Dave Brock is one of the best vocalists as far as Doors tribute bands. He was one, you know, he, he's worked with Robbie. And here, here's an excerpt of them doing Light My Fire so you can hear the, the vocals. And she went and saw them decades ago. They've been one of the, I'm, I'm sure they're not the first maybe they are uh, if they are I, I apologize for that I'm not up on the tribute on the complete history of adore tribute bands but they were one of the most well known I know Robbie has played with them uh, but listen this this is Dave Brock on vocals here they are in 2014 yeah. But yeah, I mean, just a very good vocal, I think, from him. And she saw them live. She was a huge Doors fan. And we also get into, she was friends with Fudd Ford, who, if you don't know Fudd Ford, we go into that, Jim's high school friend. And Heidi and Fudd were good friends. We also talk about, they were, uh, they lived next to Pablo and Ray Manzarek. So that's another interesting bit. I apologize in advance. I am a little sick during the interview. I tried to, you know you can still hear the stuffiness. I cut out all the coughing and stuff. But again, I want to reiterate, this is an important interview and something I think that is important to know. And it's definitely different than anything I've done, but I thought that this was such a important thing that eating disorders, it affects so many people, especially uh, teenage girls. And, And it seems like it's something that often doesn't get talked about or isn't taken seriously. And we talk a bit about that. And it also relates to the doors. Jim Morrison I'm not going to go as far as saying I'm not going to diagnose him. I do not have the expertise to diagnose Jim Morrison with bulimia or any other eating disorder. When he was in high school, you know, he was, he was sort of berated. He, he was sort of called chubby and he got some making fun of for being chubby, uh, mostly in elementary school, but in, you know, throughout his life. And especially there was a lot of talk about his weight, it, it, you know, went into the doors later on in the doors in, in 1969, 70, 71, I'm going to play a little excerpt from a Howard Smith interview. That I think it's really important. And I think Jim, Jim with his, with his interesting way of putting things talks about it, but Jim definitely had a fluctuation of weight, had some, you know, he talks about how he would eat throughout college. But then after he got out of college, I believe his diet just consisted of, I guess he had to drink some fluid, but he was just dropping acid and he wasn't eating. And uh, I mean, I think with Dennis, when he lived on Dennis Jacobs rooftop, he might've been eating then dinner with him sometimes. But when he talked to Ray, and Ray said that he had slimmed down about lost about thirty pounds or so, Jim said that he hadn't been eating anything. That 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 infamous meeting on the beach—you can go back and listen to our, my episode with Bob Bachelor for that in nineteen sixty-five, and we talk about nineteen sixty-five. But Jim had a had a weight issue. had had a I don't I don't know if it was an outward. We can speculate on that. If he if he was if it was an inward sort of thing that he that he thought about, consciously or subconsciously. If it was I'm gonna imagine it. It might have played an impact or had some effect on him. But anyway, it is something that that affected him definitely, and it affects anybody who, um, you know, it can it can this can be a disease that anybody can have or or a disorder anybody can have. But I just wanted to play this bit of the Howard Smith interview. It's sort of famous now, but here it is, and this is straight from the source from the interview. Uh, I believe it's about 39 minutes into the interview that he that he's talking with Howard Smith where he brings up his old weight. So this is straight from the source, not, and you'll see some videos come around like some, and they're cool too, but they have a lot of, backing music i wanted this straight from the source and this is jim just talking about weight there's a touch of humor and sarcasm to this maybe a bit but i, I think jim is, is being a bit genuine here uh, I, i'll play it and without commentary well i guess i did give a little bit of commentary but i'll play it without any more commentary and i'll let you make the decision on that
0: are you hungry why do you ask that well maybe uh, we could order out for some sandwiches or some chicken delight or something you're not hungry or, how about you are you hungry Oh, it's lunchtime. Did you have breakfast this morning? You did? What'd you have? Oh, little things like chocolate cake and tea here. Is that all you had? Yeah. that's all. Hey, you should eat more, Howard. (laughs) (laughs) You put on a lot of weight eating a lot. You know, that's something that really bothers me. What's wrong with being fat? That's what I want to know. Why is there such... I didn't say there was anything wrong with it. Why is it so onerous to be fat? Um, I don't see anything wrong with fat, you know? I mean, I remember when I used to weigh 185 pounds. I'm I'm the same height, I was the same height that I am now, and I weighed 185 pounds. And I was going to college, and I had this food ticket at the cafeteria. And the cafeteria food is mainly all based on starch. You know, it's cheap food, right? And so, I don't know what it was, but in order, I don't know, I just felt like I was, if you missed your meal, you just, you know, I just figured, well, I was getting screwed, right? If I missed a meal, I just blew it. So I'd get up at 6.30 every morning just to make breakfast, right? Eggs and grits and sausages and toast and milk. Then I'd go do a few classes, and I'd make it in there for lunch. Mashed potatoes. Uh, You know, every now and then they'd put a little piece of meat in something, you know. (laughs) Then I'd go to a few more classes, and then I'd go to dinner, and it was more mashed potatoes. And so at the, about three months later, I was 185 pounds. And you know what? I felt so great. I felt like a tank, you know? I felt like a, like a, a large mammal, a big beast. When I moved through the corridors or across the lawn, I just feel like uh, I could knock anybody out of my way, you know? I was solid, man. It's terrible to be thin and wispy because, you know, you could you could get knocked over by a, st- a strong wind or something. You know, fat is beautiful. How much do you weigh now? I don't know. To tell you the truth, I guess somewhere in the neighborhood of about 150. Really? Mm-hmm. You want to compare biceps? <laughs> Do you want you want that arm wrestling match, Howard? Are you ready? Are All you right. in shape? Yeah. Well, what are the interviews over? <laughs> uh, uh,
1: Jim I don't know, I don't know. So Howard Smith that whole interview was and I let that run a little longer, but I think it's really interesting. I, I, the Howard Smith was very pointed throughout the entire interview. <laughs> and and I don't know why, but Jim was giving it back to him and it's a fun interview. I think it's a really good interview. Howard Smith sort of does a lousy job at some points. And I think he's very combative at points, but it's an interesting interview. It's definitely Jim a uh, different than he, he is, you know, in the spotlight, but that was his, his take on it with a little bit of levity, I guess, definitely. But that being said, we're we going to get to a more serious conversation. And if you are hearing this, and this is, I don't know when you're listening after this is posted, if you go on our socials and you look on Facebook, on Twitter, and you search for the post that this is, you can probably search for uh, Sharon's name. You'll be able to find it that way. But if you search for the post, I will. I'm, I'm going to include a link, or not, not really a link, but a list of of uh, places you can donate that where your money will be the best utilized. It won't go to corporations like we talk about in here. Uh, if you want to donate to help out with eating disorders, and I'm going to include a list there. I'm also include a lot of stuff that Sharon so graciously sent to me. She sent me some, um, you know, the the, the funeral program, uh, some some pieces I Heidi did that were exhibited around. I'm going to include those, some pictures of her with Julie Lennon, with Dave Brock from Wild Child, and, and just some other things. Just look for the post on any on either Facebook or Twitter. It's probably where I'm going to post it. Just look there at the doors pod on Twitter, or you can search for opening the doors on Facebook. You'll find it and just search for Sharon's name and Sharon Haugen and you should find this. So you should find the post and, and all the relating information. And also if you know somebody who has an eating disorder, you can reach out with me or who, who overcame an eating disorder. Sharon gives away bags. It's one of her things that she does that I think is so awesome. And if you have anybody who's struggling with an eating disorder has overcome it, she'll send you out one of uh, one of the bags, the brand of bags that Heidi really loved. And I think that is a really cool thing. And if you, uh, you know, if you need any other resources, you can contact me directly. You can contact the podcast, opening the doors pod at gmail.com. Send me an email. I can put you in touch with whoever, if you don't feel comfortable, um, you know, reaching out yourself. This is all about awareness. It's all about helping people. And you know, if, if this is not enough tours, talk, for you, um, you can listen to the next probably 15 minutes of the podcast, get your doors filled, and you can leave. I mean, th- th- honestly. But this is more – there's more to this than that. There's more to this story. To, to the, Heidi is one of millions of people who have suffered through eating disorders, and it's important stuff. And I want to use my platform for something like that. And uh, if it if it isn't enough doors com- content, then you know this podcast be damned because I would I would rather have that stuff on. And, you know, have door stuff on then just, you know, cover the door, you know, cover very specific topics every week and not be able to help people out and and get the word out about something. All that being said, without further ado, here is my interview with Sharon. Welcome to Opening the Doors, a podcast dedicated to the doors and everything related to them. My my name is Bradley Netherton, your host, and with me today is a special guest, someone I actually met. We'll get into that in a second. Sharon Haugen and uh, her daughter, Heidi. Um, suffered through an uh, eating disorder and, and actually has some doors connections. But we want to, and I'll let her talk about that in a minute. But Sharon, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great. We're just enjoying some cooler weather here in the uh, Arizona desert by Bullhead City, Arizona, up oh. by Laughlin.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, hopefully, I know it It probably gets hot over there. I'm, I'm, I'm from Alabama, and I thought it got hot over here. I had a cousin who moved out to Arizona to play baseball for a while. And I think he said it got 112, 113 one day. And I was oh,
2: like, yeah, that's normal in the summer. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, something I, I that's that's hotter than I can even think. Sharon, I w- we actually met in a very st- unique way, I guess you could say. Uh, I yeah, was, it was unique. <laughs> yeah, I was scrolling through my Facebook feed one day, uh, as I tend to do when I probably should be doing other things. But I came across a post that you'd made in Doris Fan Group. And... It was basically talking about some of uh, the fud Ford drawings, and we'll talk about him in a little bit, that you had a lithograph set that you had gotten in the mid-80s, or I think Heidi had gotten in the mid-80s and you were trying to sell. And I was just reaching out to you to, to try to help you to sell those, and you're like, what post did you see exactly? I haven't really posted, and I couldn't find the post, and finally I found it, and it was three years old, and somehow it had shown up on my feed randomly, uh, and I just thought that was You know, it was just a strange occurrence, but I'm glad we got put in touch, though.
2: Yeah, I kept that. It was given to Heidi, and I have kind of kept in touch with uh, the Doors magazine site. She was a collector of a lot of the uh, vintage 60s, early 70s concert posters, her and her boyfriend, Bill, who, passed away also. Mm. But uh, yeah, and I was just starting to do some research on it. And then I found out that all the information was quite remarkable, the whole history of it. You know, I've never been into that era. I'm a lot older than that. But I've become a little more aware of a lot of these things through all the research that I've done on posters and, of course, on the doors. I remember then, though, that when we lived in Beverly Hills, on Rees Drive, when she was in high school, we had moved down there from the Bay Area. Uh, moved before we, it was after before we moved to the Bay Area, we moved down there from Seattle. Um, Ray Manzarek lived over on El Camino, and his son was a friend of Heidi's, and uh, he'd come to the house a few times, and I was made aware of that by Heidi later on. But this collection, that number, I think it was 91. I don't have it in front of me now.
1: Yeah, it but, says 99, uh, I think is what you posted. 99, yes, okay, 99,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. That was given to Heidi uh, when we were living up in Alameda after she graduated from high school. We moved up there in 1989 over on Webster Street, the other main street of Alameda up there, you know, in the, across from Oakland. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of shops. And this man named Fudd Ford, his name is Gerard, I learned later, had a shop. And it was kind of a psychedelic and poster and 60s and all that kind of memorabilia and things and tapes and records and that. And he had given this set number 99 of a set of lithos. He had made 250, I found out, Mm -hmm. of these sets. And there's 26 drawings in them. And uh, he had given that to Heidi. And I never thought much about it. She had showed me once. But after she passed away battling from anorexia, I started going through a lot of things. And then I started researching it. And Bud Ford had gone to high school with Jim Morrison when he was going to Alameda High School. He had come across all these drawings that Jim Morrison had done and given to him. And so he decided to make sets. And he made 250 litho sets of these drawings and they're all on sheets that are like about maybe 11 by 14 or 8 by 10 and some smaller. Heidi used to shop in his store there and he liked Heidi a lot from the note he put in there too about Heidi that he signed and so he gave her set number 99 and then I learned that he had died in uh, 1994 and he sold, his partners sold the remaining sets, and I don't know how many there were, but he sold them to the Doors Magazine Corporation. And they, in turn, started to divide the sets and selling them individual pieces and so I went on and, you know, and categorized them and for the value and that. I did make a short exhibit of them, some of them. You can't, in a public library, you can't exhibit a lot of his drawings. <laughs> yes, or yes. They're considered pornographic. <laughs> yeah. But I did that when I did an exhibit on her vintage concert posters that I had framed and had researched the values and stuff on them from the different bands of those eras But it was quite interesting to read about that. That's how I posted that on there. And I was wanting to find a good home for them because at my age, I'm trying to find homes for a lot of things so they don't just get trashed or given yeah, away to yeah. the Salvation Army or something. By people,
3: mm-hmm. yeah. So
2: anyway, I found a home and her, her friend that visits me from Michigan, she's a collector of vintage posters. So I gave a lot to her. I did sell some. But And the Jim Morrison collection, because I know she'll hand it down to her son and daughter, who are, you know, they're in their late 20s, early 30s. But anyway, it was interesting, and I've learned a lot about that. So yeah. that's how it, I posted it <laughs> at yeah. that time. And,
1: and it's, I mean, it's just sort of, I'm still sort of amazed that that happened. And I was just going to read a little excerpt from uh, Frank Lisiandro's book, Feast of Friends. It was, he was also friends with Jim, just to give people a little bit more information about FUD Ford uh, in case they needed it. Jim was 13 when his family moved to Alameda, an island adjacent to Oakland, California. The year was 1957. Rock and roll was making a strong foyer into American popular culture, and On the Road was a newly published book. Jim met Fudd Ford during the first weeks of ninth grade at Alameda High School. Fudd's wit, street smarts, and recklessness made it a sure bet he and Jim would become fast friends. Jim and Fudd spent a lot of time together in the two years Jim lived in Alameda. Fudd recounted some memories of of Jim and Frank Lisiandro's Feast of Friends. And this is uh, Fud talking. He said that they wanted to be beat, beatniks like the characters in On the Road. They wanted to go on road trips and travel and go taste beer in Mexico and see if we could go pick up women in France, just mostly fantasies. Turned out to be fantasies for me, but realities for Jim. And that was what beatniks did back in the day. We'd put on sweatshirts and Levi's and wear sandals and go over to San Francisco to North Beach and hang out, you know, hang out in front of the coffee houses and go listen to the poetry sometimes. Try and steal wine, spend time out at Playland at the beach. That was a great place to have fun for a kid. Gone now. And he also goes on to talk about some things that Jim liked. Jim loved reading Mad Magazine growing up. He didn't have a lot of rock and roll records, but one he did have was Elvis was another interesting thing. But Fudd seems like an interesting character. And I've always, the interesting thing about those prints is when they ended up going over to, I've been in talks actually with Carrie Humphreys who runs the Doors Collector's Magazine to ran it for years. I've got a copy of all the magazines. And oh. um, I've been in touch with him basically talking. I'm going to interview him one day, but he ended up splitting those up into lots years ago. So you could only get like, you'd get like a lot of three or so. So you there were different lots and you couldn't get all 20. I think was it uh, 26, 26, yeah,
2: I believe. Yeah, yeah. 26
1: altogether. So you couldn't get them all in one fell swoop whenever they, they ran them. So you'd have to get the whole, you know, different sets. And that being said though, I find that interesting that, she was friends with FUD and that she was into the psychedelic stuff because she reminds me a lot of myself because I was growing up you know I was born in 93 so I'm 29 now and I was I ended up getting into the doors in a weird roundabout way but you know my parents never grew up listening to the door so it wasn't something in their purview but I sort of was drawn to the psychedelic culture can you tell me a bit about Heidi and, and some of how she got into it or uh,
2: I don't really know, but she's always been kind of an, well, I was told by a psychic when I was living in San Diego for a while, little Rose Rogers, and Heidi was an old soul, and I believe that. She loved old, she she was from, and her, she met Bill Field, who up, and we moved up to Alameda, mm-hmm. and he was into, he worked at the psychedelic shop up there in San Francisco, and they became boyfriend, girlfriend, and, and he passed away from the diabetes five years before Heidi. I loved him dearly. But she always loved th- that kind of music, too. She, she could sing beautifully. She had a voice like Whitney Houston used to sing before she started oh, yeah. to you know decline. But, I mean, she really just loved music. And they were into The Grateful Dead and they, she traveled around her and Bill going to different concerts and that, and they were like modern-day little hippies. I mean, they, she just loved all that and uh, collected things. She was just something different, you know. She she appreciated vintage and antiques. She was always interested in those things. They really did a lot in her short 30 years, you know. She did a lot of traveling and experiencing different things, and she just loved that, and that's one of the reasons why she wanted to move up there uh, later on, because my son, who was much older, 11, he was, had been stationed at the um, Naval Air Station there. And so she moved up there first, and I followed a few months later. But that's how we managed to go up there, and then it went from there.
1: Yeah, and you talked about uh, Rayson Pablo coming over. One of the, I guess, the stories in Doors Lore, that w- there was always a Doors Lost song called Paris Blues. And it was on a cassette tape that Ray Manzarek, his father, owned. And whenever Pueblo was a kid, I guess he accidentally erased over part of it. And they couldn't get it back. But here recently they've released the song as it was and sort of tried to fill in the bits the best they could. But it was never released just because he had erased part of it, I guess, when he was a toddler messing with his tape cassette a uh, player or something. <laughs> so I always thought that was funny. Do you remember anything about him coming over and hanging out? Or no, anything?
2: I don't. I don't because a lot of times they would come over after school or something when I was at work, you know, yeah. Oh yeah. and I, or she would go there. So I, I didn't, but she had told me that, you know, she just, just like what she met a gal one time, uh, hanging out by one of the hotels, uh, Lermitage or whatever it was in Beverly Hills. There where she was a big fan of John Taylor and Duran Duran, oh, yeah, and yeah. Nina, And Nina. And they just, you know, she was 16, and they just, and finally this gal, Cindy, came down and picked up Heidi and Nina and said, come on up, and I'll take you to the room, and you can hang out with all the Duran Duran gang. And they did. I've got pictures of all together, and John Taylor kissing her on the cheek. I mean, she people just gravitated towards her, and they always loved Heidi. And uh, Cindy became a good friend to her. She was a lot older. And it turned out later on, uh, she visited Cindy in, in Dallas went a couple of times, in the, and uh, Cindy was dating Julian Lennon. I so wow. Heidi was hanging out with yeah. Cindy and Julian and went to the state fair together. I got pictures of that. And Cindy didn't want me to know, I guess, that she was a dancer in Dallas, you know, one of these exotic dancers. Yeah. And I said, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So we became friends and she was like a big sister. And then when Pink Floyd came to town, when they were regrouping in 87 at the sports arena, before they went to the Coliseum, it was like a pre-show. Heidi was hanging out with those guys and Cindy and, and she got us in there for that pre-show. It was fantastic. but. Heidi loved music and all this all types like that, and people just really loved her. She she was just uh, in her short life, you know, she did a lot of things.
1: Yeah, and one thing I was going to mention, you know, we talked about, we mentioned Jim's artwork, some of the stuff she that he did, and I know that Heidi actually did some of her own artwork, had some of her own poems that she ran an exhibit called. Eyes of the Soul and
2: yeah. the paintings. That was her thing, yeah. yeah it was beautiful. Um, she it was really depicting how she was feeling with her illness. I've exhibited many places and at the, at UC Berkeley and at the University of Washington for their programs they had regarding health week or eating disorder awareness and things yeah. like that, and I've done it here locally and, and in Palm Springs where we eventually had moved to and where she rests. She was very artistic, and she just uh, what a precious child! It still cracks me up when I talk about it because yeah. I miss her so much.
1: Yeah, in the, the paintings are, I mean, they're they're beautiful pieces, but you can definitely they all convey, uh, I would say, a, a warped sense of self or a negative, uh, you know, self image. I guess to an extent, like it, it, it's definitely something that you can see. And I think it's to an extent something you've seen. Some of Jim's artwork is a, I think he suffered through some mental illness, so definitely maybe not to the same extent, I wouldn't say. I think
2: so too, in in a different way with him. Mm -hmm. But if you look at some of them and if you really analyze it, you can tell there's something there of what he's feeling about something. And that's the same with Heidi's work too. A lot of people that battle anorexia, which is, Mm -hmm. of course, the number one death rate of any mental illness or eating disorder. But a lot of them, because as a member of the Mothers Against Eating Disorders that was formed by Deborah Schlesinger up in San Mateo, California, so many of the girls, especially the females, have a lot of artistic talent. And they put it through into their poetry, into their writings, especially Heidi's journal writings, as I've sent some to you Mm -hmm. about how she felt about things and the poetry and uh, they do that. They're extremely creative. You know, it's a devastating thing, you know, anorexia, because it's not understood still to this day, because they yeah. don't talk about it much on national television, except when somebody famous they think might've had it.
3: we going
1: back to the artwork too, is something I noticed is there was uh, during, so Jim Morrison went on trial in Miami for indecent exposure and some other things that supposedly yeah. happened that I don't know really did happen. And a lot of people contend didn't happen, but that that aside, I think Jim had opened up to his lawyer, supposedly, uh, this is sort of hearsay, maybe, that he had been sexually abused as a kid. And so maybe some of his drawings, you know, sort of represented some of that uh, sexual frustration or something that he got out. And that's one of the theories. But even aside, I think, bringing that into the conversation of eating disorders, I know a lot of uh, sexual assault victims go through eating disorders, but even to an extent, And this is something I was going to ask you about. I know Heidi talked about the impact of not having her father uh, in her life, correct?
2: Oh, this has been something that has been a really bad thing that has integrated the family dynamic still going on today. Mm -hmm. And it's just really sad, the father hunger thing. Heidi wouldn't buy into that and not be in my life to be included in her father's like the too much older kids did at adult age when he came back into their lives. But Heidi writes about it a lot—the father hunger thing. The thing is, is that in order for recovery, when you're in a, trying to recover, if you can get help, because it's very difficult to get help even today to pay for it, yeah. and I can go into that later. But it's it's integral that you have a a cohesive family support system. If you have this division and deceitfulness and things going on Heidi writes about it you've got it to dad she says you've got to straighten things out with mom you for me to get better you've got to to do something but he yeah. never would stop that and he's still doing it today 45 years after being divorced <laughs> yeah.
3: so
2: it's just ridiculous you know and he never could get it and Heidi would say things like the one thing in her journals which is in that a memoir book that I have put together. The one thing I don't understand is the backlash on my father's hand. And I'm, am I just a noun to you? It, you know, it takes a family to help me get better. You know, I need your yeah. support. And it's sometimes it's. I, I I think especially with men, it's very hard for them to really get a a, a grip on this. You know, but mm-hmm. I know many fathers that are the husbands of. The mothers against the, they they do so many great things, but I've heard yeah, a yeah. lot of other stories similar to mine.
1: And I think that's part of it too. Is it seems like some of the the eating disorders come from the approval, I guess seeking the approval of man, maybe. And that's not the I guess overall contributing factor, but I think it's one you know contributing factor. There's a bigger hole to the issue, I'm sure. You know.
2: Well, they say that it's a thing that especially with a girl. If they don't have that connection with a father image that they can, mm-hmm. it can lead to a lot of other things of feeling inadequate. And what did I do not to have him be in my life? And yeah. why isn't he helping me? You know,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: it's it's documented. I put it all in there from different sources. Yeah. You know, it's just really sad when you read all of her writings of how she felt, you know, and one of them ends with help me, daddy. Yeah. It's all in the book. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I wanted to sort of transition here to talk about eating disorders in general and some of the facts that I saw, thought that found that were interesting and that eating disorders affect almost 10% of the whole world population and 28.8 million of those being Americans, and they'll experience them in their lifetime. Less than 6% of people with eating disorders are medically diagnosed as underweight. And 70, 28 to 74% of risk for eating disorders is through genetic hereditability and eating disorders are among the deadliest mental illnesses, like you talked about, the number one mental illness. And 10,200 deaths each year are a direct result of eating disorders. And that's but
2: they don't say which eating disorder. Yeah, That's the problem. If they want now to more or less lump so much into that, it's all the different types. But anorexia and the bulimia, but mainly anorexia, mm-hmm. they have the highest mortality rate of any eating disorder and mental illness. And it is it is growing because all of these big national organizations under the umbrella of nonprofit who are supposedly doing things to advocate for better health insurance coverages, which are not being done in my 37 years of involvement. It's still a problem and not giving the coverages for the extremely high cost. And they have gone. To the thing by saying anorexia gets too much attention, it's for thin, white, privileged girls. It's horrible what's happening. Yeah. That's why I really tell people to donate and help those organizations, uh, nonprofits, foundations that are every state has, were has a parent of someone who has died battling anorexia and bulimia that they have formed these and they do wonderful work on their communities and do help. And very few, I, I, I don't even know of any of these big national ones actually give financial assistance. Uh, like Moon Shadow Spirit does uh, in uh, uh, Webster, New York, who lost their daughter, Jennifer. Yeah. They do big fundraisers to raise money to give financial aid to those seeking treatment.
1: I was actually had that question, and maybe we can elaborate on that a bit more, but I was going to ask you, since you've been in this and been in the middle of this, uh, there are many organizations out there, like you talked about, to combat the eating disorders, but with your, I guess, expertise and being more acquainted with the field than anybody, you know, I would, I would ask, are there any that you would recommend donating to directly? And there are any that you would recommend staying away from?
2: For one thing, the National Eating Disorder Association out of New York City, they pay $325,000 a year just for their office space in Times Square and very handsome six-figure salaries for all their top people. And it, they do no financial aid. They do walks all over the country. And I have participated in a number of them. And finally, we were told in 2019 up in Vegas that we really weren't welcome at their walks because we make other people feel uncomfortable. But they took all of our money we raised all the time. But the thing is, is that they they have just gone to this other side. And they also told us that we should have our own get-together away from anybody else. Like, and they don't ever address and don't want people to know that they're dying more and more every year. Because if all these big national organizations that are supposedly advocating for better health and health reform and mental health parity and in Congress, like the EDC, which is the Eating Disorder Coalition in Washington, D.C., which I spoke on before, if they were really making progress. Why are the statistics of the death rates and victims going up and up and up year after year? More difficult to get the treatment that people deserve. And all of the treatment programs across the country more and more keep cropping up over the years. They are all for profit. And there is no accountability. And there is no oversight on these. They don't have to meet any standards. There's nobody... There, watching out what they do, yeah. and it's presenting people will mortgage their homes, they will spend all of their 401ks, they will charge up their credit cards to try to pay for this expensive treatment. Now, Fox News came here. They got my name from ANAD, and ANAD is pretty good, and they've been, in, they've been in, uh, outside of Chicago there, I think, for about 30-some years. Oh, wow. Uh, More than that, because I've been with them since, yeah, they've been there about 40 years. And through them, Fox News in New York got my name back in 2004. And the Olsen twins from that TV show, Mm -hmm. one of them had come out saying that she was battling anorexia. And so they decided that they were going to do a show. So uh, they had contacted ANAD. And they had referred them to me, and their producer had called me, and I was astonished because Heidi and I had always tried to get some help and get the word out there. Anyway, we even went on the Lisa Gibbons show, and that fell through too with what they did. But anyway, Uh they came here with their. I provided them with all kinds of information. I was putting a thing together about Heidi, and I had the tapes that she had left, which are really profound and hard to watch. Mm-hmm. And I sent them to them. And they came out here with a crew and their lead anchor, Jane Skinner, who is no longer, she retired. She's married to the NFL. What's his name? Roger Goodall? Yeah.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah, yeah. She came here and they aired it and in my interview and Heidi's tapes and that on their nationally televised Breaking Point series, Eating Disorders, The Deadly Secret. Now, All of these TV shows you've seen where they bring out these talk shows, they bring out emaciated people and they talk about the illness and, but they never talk about how do you get help? Why isn't the insurance paying? You never do. This show did. They asked the one doctor. In fact, I had met him when I was speaking back at the coalition in DC in oh five, but I had not met him yet. But anyway, He said, when they asked him on this show, what does it cost for treatment? And he said, quote, in a good treatment program for at least four months, it would be well over $200,000. And that was then. So the treatment is extremely expensive with these treatment programs. Now, the Eating Disorder Coalition, which advocates supposedly putting together some bills. New legislature, nothing much has happened with that to help with the cost of treatment. There's been a few things for research and development and things like that. But that has not come to any fruition there. But they're a coalition.
1: Yeah, you said the okay. co- I, I, you broke up right when you said the coalition. Uh, I think you're talking about the co- so you basically all, it's all funded based on the machine it's like a cog in the machine. Basically, the people, the doctors and the programs that charge all this money back to the coalition. But nothing really gets done for as far as providing no. health care.
2: No, people are still struggling. You see, and yeah. they have to sue the insurance companies. They have to file appeals. And it's it's a nightmare. And it's still going on after my 37 years of involvement, the 15 that uh, Heidi battled it and all these uh, years since, you know, it's oh, yeah. just. It's just gotten nowhere and it's very frustrating it's just something that I don't I don't see what the end is to this and people keep on talking about you have to talk about awareness and the conversation well it's the awareness and the conversation has been out there now when Heidi first developed into this she was around 15 and the Karen Carpenter story had been around for a couple of years or so I yeah. think yeah, then 3-4 years and Karen Carpenter's death actually brought a lot of attention to anorexia. Mm-hmm. But until then people didn't talk about it at all. You never heard much about it, you know. Yeah. In fact I had dinner once with I think his name was Tom Mills with my friend Alan Friedman. We had dinner with him and he was the producer of the Karen Carpenter story. Oh, and wow, he yeah. said he said that Karen was really the, the money maker for that whole family. And and they really didn't get her into let her develop into treatment and follow through because she had to be making money. And they really were not that into helping in recovery and supporting her. It wasn't that big a thing to them, really. And and, uh, it was so well, we all thought how she got so thin, but they didn't talk about it, you know. So they were not a real big, just like we dealt with. You don't have a real supportive family for different reasons. She did bring attention to it. And I always include her in anything that I talk about is Karen Carpenter. What a beautiful soul, beautiful voice, you know.
1: Oh, yeah. An amazing amazing drummer, too. She was. uh,
2: Yeah, the drummer. She was fantastic. I was watching a segment. I pulled it up. A while back, and I showed it to my husband. He said he couldn't believe it. Yeah, she was the drummer. In fact, People in, don't know that. Yeah, in fact, in, po-
1: <laughs> in post production, right here, I'm going to drop in a drum solo she did, and uh, it's, it's amazing. Talking about all that, you and what was the the organization that, just to make sure everybody got it, the one that you said had the office front in New York?
2: NIDA. NIDA, which is the most well-known one, the National Eating Disorder. And the problem with them, too, is their walks that they do all over the country. They get organizations and people to do their walks to raise money, Mm -hmm. you know. And But none of that money ever stays in, no percentage stays into the communities where the walk is or for those organizations in those areas that hold the walk, It all goes into the fund in New York. Now, Nita has gotten into some problems and I just got something sent to me that they're eliminating their helpline, which is the only thing that they have put money into is their helpline so people can call and get some help and t- referrals and things like that. But there's a problem now, and I'll send that over to you. There's a problem now that uh, and they fired the four people that were uh, in charge of it, and all the volunteers were all let go, and they're going to evolve into a, a chat room. So there's a problem there, so they won't be funding that anymore. And that's where the money really went, was to help yeah. pay for that. The rest of it went for their overhead and, the, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And also, there's some new ones that have cropped up that want to do it online, do online treatment. And they have nutrition therapists, and uh, they have huge investors. They call them investors. But, but investors want a return on their money. Yeah. And that one is called Equip. You can investigate it in that. And I just think so much of it is for high salaries. It's, they, become, they become a business now. That's the mm-hmm. problem. So many of these big national ones. That's why I encourage people to go and look up. I have a list of a lot of them that are run by parents who have lost a child in, in different states. You know, in Michigan, New York, Delaware, Tennessee. Minnesota that have wonderful projects that they do and events to raise money and go out in the community and bring awareness and bring speakers and, and offer how people can get help in that. So, But the Moonshadow Spirit in New York, which is run by Sharon Mathiason, is doing wonderful work. That's why I partnered with them in my This Betsy's For You project. Yeah. How do you love the designer, Betsy Johnson, who is a real funky designer with really cute and funky handbags and clothes. Mm-hmm. And I decided that when they give a shawl to the recipients of their financial aid, I'm giving a Betsy Johnson bag or tote. So I've been yeah. marking, and I've got about 50 bags. Oh wow! That's <laughs> and I'm great. helping others that that I know that are battling that I sent them out to and I sent them out to a number of the mothers of those who have lost their child, too, in memory of Heidi in this message for you project.
1: Yeah. And if somebody wants to find a list of those organizations that you had, uh, where can they
3: find that at?
2: Well, I don't know if there's a list of the private ones. I can compile one and send it off with their with their um, email addresses. Well, I tell, and, I tell you, uh, you what, if, have,
1: yeah, if you can just make that list, and if you don't mind, I'll post some of or all of that information that you emailed to me, if that's okay, with this oh, episode, sure. and that way we can make sure everybody has that information if they need it, and and I'll try to share it in some other groups. Maybe we can. Well, oh, uh, that would
2: be wonderful because it's it's really important that you know, that you get the correct information is not to pay high salaries and things like that. It's yeah. just, it's really sad that it's gotten to that. But, you know, many of these big nonprofits are like that. And, uh, you know, it's become a business and they get high salaries mm-hmm. and things like that. But Moonshadow was great. And then there's, uh, there's other mothers and, and fathers too, but mainly the mothers that are running them. Now, Deborah Schlesinger out of San Mateo she is the one that brought us all together. She started many, many, many years ago on Facebook, a group called the Mothers Against Eating Disorder, MAD, M-A-E-D.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then more of us looking for a together on that. So that's where it all started with all of us being able to have a place where we could meet one another because we all have the same, we belong to the same club that we wish we didn't belong to. Yeah. Yeah. the ones that have lost our child and there's so many you know i have put together banners i did that for three years to do the nita walks up in vegas before yeah. i knew what was happening and uh, the mothers against eating disorders and with nita and uh, i've always supported them in all my exhibits and events that i take part in and handing out their information before all of this now that they're eliminating their helpline because of a controversy over some kind of union thing have to investigate a little more into what was sent to me but I think a lot of these are put on notice that they better they strayed so much from their original mission statement of what they were really about you know yeah in order to bring in more donations from all kinds of groups and things everywhere
1: yeah and and, and it just and maybe it's just me projecting but to me it seems like if somebody is going through an issue like that, it would be a lot more beneficial to be able to talk to a real person on, on a helpline than it would to be to do a, an Internet chat. Maybe people are more comfortable with the Internet chats nowadays. I'm not sure. But to me, it would feel more comforting to, I guess, talk to you know a person. And I don't know.
2: Well, I think they're doing that because now they're going to eliminate all the money they put into the helpline and the chat room. I don't think it's going to have the same kind of helpful service as you mentioned. I don't think so. It's not the same thing. Yeah. And that's sad, you know. But the, I think things are happening. there. So It's it, it just, you know, who can you trust with all these kind of, so many of them operating under the umbrella of a nonprofit and helping, and then it turns out that they're going astray, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just really, really sad. That's why I refer people. To go to the more private ones that are—they don't have high overhead and high salaries, <laughs> you know. The yeah. memorial quilt that the Eating Disorder Coalition started back in 2005—they put it in a box after after two years and never told any of us that added all of our daughters' squares to it and or, some sons too. Men get ten percent, are men mm-hmm. uh, are, are male, but uh, they never told us. And uh, I started about four or five years ago, I said, well, I wonder where it is. And I couldn't get any information. They wouldn't call back. Finally, I was able to get someone. And they said, oh, they gave it to someone who worked there. It was in a box in their office for all these years. They haven't used it for 10 years. And she quit and they she took it with them with her to Montana and then it was in her closet. Finally got it back. And now it's delivered to a... The MCR Foundation in Tennessee, uh, mm-hmm. run by Jan Robinson, who lost her daughter. She's on that memorial quilt like Heidi was, too, yeah. the original one. And now more squares can be added.
1: Yeah, and I'll post a picture of that, too, because you sent that to me, too. I thought that was a really beautiful mm-hmm. thing uh, as well. And, you know, I think it's another thing, I guess, the mentality of human beings in general. If we want to donate to something or we want to donate to a cause – we go to the very blatantly named, hey, if we want to donate to somebody, you know, with the eating disorders, let's go to this national eating disorder, you know, uh, coalition or whatever. And that's who we're going to donate to because that's sort of the mentality we have. We don't really do a lot of research into this. So that's why I think stuff like this is important. So we know where our money's going. We know that it's actually helping the communities and helping actual people. And it's not lining the pockets of people who, you know, sit in and make more money than we'll ever see, you know what I mean?
2: Well, sure, it's it's a business because they're all getting salaries and everything for these big ones. And there's so many of the other ones out there that do so much work, good work, and help other people. So I've learned, too, along this process. You know, I thought they were wonderful, too, a lot of these other ones. But I have done more research now and learning (laughs) through experience how everything works. You know, I was naive. And yeah. uh, But it's, it's a real shame that this is going on. You know, Heidi wanted help so bad. We went on the Lisa Given show. They promised to give her inpatient treatment and everything. We signed the paperwork. She got us on the show. She wanted help. A lot of people battling with anorexia and bulimia are shy about getting help. And Heidi was always searching yeah. for her. We could never afford it. The insurance is for her dad. He was, didn't want to pay for it. He did help through one program up in Concord. Uh, but then he manipulated her to move away from all of her therapists and everything and it, it was a nightmare. He always was doing this, moving or someplace and gonna help and then it fell through it, Anyway, so it is it's just really sad that this is going on within the eating disorder community. Yeah. It's gone it's gone berserk, it's gone haywire. You know what? It's greed. The whole country is suffering from the greed, you know. It's mm-hmm. not what's good for 10 or 20, 30 years down the road, it's immediate gratification without thinking of the repercussions later, you know. And uh, it's, it's a sad thing what's going on with this community. And uh, I've learned a lot in, in these years now. And uh, uh, I've kind of retired from doing my speaking engagements at schools and doing media events and all the different local events uh, for the different math programs and Teen Maze and Cell television. I just got tired,
3: <laughs> Yeah. Well, <laughs> so that's
2: why I decided to keep Heidi's memory going by by starting this uh, this Betsy's for You project to help Moonshadow Spirit raise money.
1: Yeah, and we'll get into that here in a second. But one of the things uh, too, uh, there's a lot of victim blaming in 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 a lot of this you know in a lot of the eating disorders and there's discriminant you know discrimination you talked about it being uh, i guess a, a white girl disease or, or or something along those lines but there are definitely people of minorities who deal with this who aren't taken seriously because they consider it you know i mean it's a double-edged sword i mean uh, all this is sort of plays into the the mentality these people have and i guess the reasons that the doctors don't consider it a a uh and maybe the doctors do now. Uh, that's one thing I was going to ask you about. In your 37 years, have you seen a shift, though, to take it more seriously?
2: Well, if you look at the insurance industry is not addressing it. Uh, they're still not giving the coverages because it com- it's still under mental. And if yeah. you look under coverages under mental illness, it's not good. You know, And they don't want to give these. And then, of course, these programs are charging outrageous amounts that's not covered they have to pay high salaries to everybody yeah. and there's no oversight on any of it you know and accountability so i don't see i there are some insurances that are giving some coverages but the problem is they only go so far just like the doctor in the docu in the documentary that i did for fox he said in a good program for at least four months it would cost over two hundred thousand. well these programs, most of them will not give you that at all. You know, when you, when you have to wait so mm-hmm. long, the longer you wait to get the help, the harder it is to go through recovery. That's why it's integral for families or, and, and uh, those that are involved with, uh, with children at schools, uh, in, in clubs and things. Take notice and try to make sure that these people or the families and that are made aware of what they think is might be wrong and to have it checked out if they see a child uh, struggling and uh, with eating or losing weight or some are even even uh, Heidi had, had gained weight. She had gotten a little overweight through her couple, three years. Yeah, And uh, so in bulimia, you can have bulimia and not get real thin, but it's still mm-hmm. damaging to you. So it's integral that they get an early treatment before it gets so intense that you have to seek inpatient treatment. And then another battle begins of how do you get the help? How do you pay for it? And Heidi, we could never get that. And the insurance her father had, was mandatory to keep on her was blue cost of Washington and Alaska, because that's where you're originally from, it only paid $2,500 for mental health treatment. And that was outpatient. We were able to get that transferred to some inpatient. And I thought, well, then, you know, yeah. this, this was after we were turned down by UCLA when we were going for outpatient. And they suggested that she go inpatient. And then that's when I discovered it was only 30 some thousand then that the, they said, sorry, your insurance isn't going to help. So out the door you go. Yeah. Now, if we could have gotten her in there early, I think things could have had a better turnout because Heidi was different than a lot of others. She wanted help. Mm -hmm. She even said to me, the one, you know, the one thing I thought I was controlling is controlling me. And I wish I could change my brain. Yeah. You know, she was trying to seek help. She w- we went to biofeedback and we didn't have a lot of financial backing. There's more financial aid like some of, like, like with her now with uh, Moonshadow Spirit. I wish we would have had somebody like, but most of these doctors and the psychiatrists she went to in the later stages of it, they just were giving her drugs. Now, Heidi's didn't die when I found her dead that morning. It wasn't because her organs failed her, she had become toxic. I didn't realize that all of these medications that they were giving her for anxiety and depression, that they weren't monitoring her fragile con- condition with little food intake. And so over a period of time, her body gave out. They medicated yeah. her. And, and cause they, they were just giving her drugs.
1: Yeah. And, you know, speaking of that, um, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, you know heidi fought into the end and you talked about that but, and it was real struggle uh, you talked about the not much medical treatment but when she passed you said that you experienced an unshakable suffocation of darkness and a total eclipse of all sunshine and i know that she was uh, she went by sunshine and you called her that and stuff but you eventually started your own campaign and that's something i want you to tell me about what what was the motivation was it to help people like heidi and then uh, what ended up you know leading you towards making the campaign?
2: Well, you know, Brad, Heidi had always said, Mom, if I don't make it, go out there and do something. Yeah. Tell people, tell my story, tell our story so that other people might get some help and they don't have to go through what we did. So uh, I finally pulled myself together. It was horrible. And yeah. in, she died March 26th of 01. In September, I was still struggling, but I contacted our local radio host, uh, Marshall Gilbert in Palm Springs who had a radio show in the morning and I talked with him and he said, come on the show and we'll do a whole hour and people can call in. So he had done some research in that too. So I did that and it was wonderful. And he did a lot of research about those that don't have a father in their life and and that have an 800% more chance, a girl of developing some kind of an addiction and eating disorder. And So then we decided to move over here to Bullhead City. I needed to change. And I moved my mother, too. And uh, I I needed to do something. And so I had Heidi's artwork, and I started framing some of it. And I decided I got to do something. So I called the college, and I said, is there some way uh, that I could uh, present uh, some information on eating disorders? And they said, well, contact uh, this woman at the courthouse. She is a, a Debbie Mulatto, She is the assistant to Judge Mary Stringer, and they have a team t- uh, task force. So I did, and they had formed a, a task force of people and organizations that deal with things uh, that affect young people uh, through the court system too. So they asked me to come and speak to the uh, to that. Task force, and it was being held at the council chambers here in Bullhead City. So I didn't know exactly what to do, but I knew what I had to get across. And so I just got some information, the fact sheet that Annette had given me, and a couple more pieces of information, and the picture of Heidi and the card that she had written to me that we had done and handed out at uh, at the funeral. Mm -hmm. And then I just wrote on a piece of paper for the love of Heidi. And stapled it together, made copies, and got a few pieces of her artwork and her big picture in the frame. And I went to the council chamber to speak before about 70 people. And I knew what I had to say in what order. And I got up and spoke. And I continued for about 20, 25 minutes about that. And I knew that the audience was really interested, you can tell. And when I finished, they said, Oh, it was so interesting and information that we didn't know. And We're so glad that you came and it was so clear what you said, and it was just, it just flowed. And I said, that's because it comes from the heart. A newspaper man was there and he did an article on the paper, and then the school called me and wanted me to speak before their health classes, and then it just graduated from there. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, and I know you've said you've drifted away from that a little bit or, or not drifted away, but you you don't do the traveling portion as much, I think
2: I do have a Facebook group that I post a lot of interesting articles and things And in, in memoriam on a lot of the uh, angels uh, And the things that the, the angel mothers are doing for their nonprofits, uh, The different events that they have in different states And I have that on Facebook and that's for the love of Heidi and that's on Facebook and people can join that and get information or even ask information that I can get to through messaging, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you've been so,
2: I do all the time. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. And you've been so generous with your time today. I just got two more questions and we'll wrap up. Uh, But I thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this is a Doors podcast, and this I know there hasn't been a lot of Doors, but I, information. But I think this is really important info to get out there, and the fact that Heidi was uh, such a fan of psychedelic music in general, she seemed just from seeing pictures of her. That picture you sent me, I know with the red hat. She, I see her mm-hmm. wearing in a couple different ones. She was very radiant, and she seemed like such of an infectious person to be around. And all the stories you've told me, and the was. stuff I've read,
2: everybody loved Heidi. Oh. Yeah,
1: I I really appreciate you sharing all that with me, and I'll pass that along. Well, thank you
2: too, Brad. I really appreciate it, and I'll get some information off to you. We'll be in touch, and that if people want to find out where these other ones are, that they can contact in their own state, or they don't even have to be in their own state. They can contact you know uh, anyone, and they will be more than uh, willing to help people. And uh, if anybody knows somebody that is struggling with anorexia and bulimia, uh, let me know because I can send
1: them a Bexy bag. Yeah, thank you, so, thank you so much for that. And you know, I, one of the, the cool things I thought from reading all the information you passed along, uh, Holly, Heidi always said that she wanted her artwork to be published and she wanted people to see it, and, and you did that for her. Uh, how did that make you feel, or what? What was well, how? Did, how did you feel about that whole process? That knowing that at least part of her, her end goal. I mean, you said that, and and I know that she wanted you to help fight. But what do you? How do you think Heidi saw would see all that?
2: Oh, well, she said she, in in, one of, in her writings, you know, it's in the book, that she wanted someday to get her work published. And when I was sitting in an art gallery over here uh, in, in Laughlin, and a lady was doing an article on her, and she heard about me, and she said, oh, I want put, to put you in my artisan magazine. And so uh, with her friend Jessica's soulmate tribute uh, that she wrote about Heidi, Jessica Lucas, uh, she she condensed it, and then they included Heidi's artwork in that. So that told the whole story. It was really nice to see her work in a, in a magazine. And uh, it's been, you know, and displayed other places at universities and that too. So the first one was at the college here, and her light on the reader board said, Eyes of the Soul by Heidi Haugen. That was great. Yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, lastly, and we've talked a bit about this, and I know that people Uh, We'll hear this throughout the podcast, but how would you want Heidi to be remembered?
2: Ah, it's just a beautiful person who just uh, loved life and loved helping others. And she she just uh, meant so much to so many people, especially all my friends, too. Yeah. And uh, she's uh, she's just a, a beautiful soul.
1: Yeah. And I wanted to read the, uh, the letters, the one of the last, was it the the last letter she sent you before, um, she passed the one that was mm-hmm. included on the, uh, in for the funeral and her card and everything. Uh,
3: yeah.
1: Yeah. I was just going to read that if, if, if that's okay.
3: okay.
1: Uh, mom, I love you. And if you could spend one day in my brain, you would understand. I feel like I'm shipwrecked and blind condemned to living without all my past passions, but it will change. I'm on the road to change. It'll be hard on you and frustrating, worrisome, baffling, and eventually resentful, but I understand. But the good news is I'll be okay someday soon. Crazy isn't so bad. It's just exhausting and horrible to the most important people I love. We will have ups and downs, but we will survive. It's always been me and you against the world. Only I thought by now I could have taken care of you. I'm so sorry for that. Uh, Take care of yourself, please. I love you, Heidi. Sunshine. P.S. I've got grandpa and grandma, Bill Randy, uh, Mr. Cowan, all looking out for me, so I'll be just fine. And uh, that was the last thing she wrote to you. Yeah. Um. Well, okay. <laughs> Sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Mr. Cowan was her teacher. He even came to our house from the school. He was wonderful. She loved him. Yeah. You know?
1: Well, I'm sorry for making everybody cry this morning. Um, thank you, you know, Sharon. Thank you so much for all this, and thank you for coming on to talk. Well, I'm
2: glad, and Heidi would have been together because of her interest.
1: Yeah, and and I and I hope I hope this helps somebody. I'm sure it will. And, but even if not, I'm so glad I got to talk to you, and uh, it's helped me, if if nothing else. And I'm and we'll be in touch, and. I just want to thank you for coming Well, the
2: illness, the more information you can get out from the people, from the the victims of how they felt and the families. But it is very difficult to understand. And the more information we can get out there, and I wanted to thank you for doing this. It means a lot.
1: Thank you again to Sharon Haugen. You can find resources to combat eating disorders in the description of this podcast, or you can find them on our socials by searching for this podcast post. You can find this podcast on Twitter at The Doors Pod and on Facebook by searching for Opening the Doors. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for guests, you can send an email to openingthedoorspod at gmail.com. I want to give a special thanks to podcast consultant Jim Cherry, who authored The Doors Examined and The Last Stage. Music for this podcast was done by Christian Cornejo of the Jimbo Tribute Band from South America. I hope to meet you back here in two weeks, but until then, keep the doors open. And the music lab.
3: What?